The World Cup on off the ball, covering the good, the bad, and well, the ugly of what's happening in Qatar. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. Subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast feed now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. I'm delighted to say broadcaster and journalist Lars Severson is with us this morning. Lars, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, guys. How's it going? Yeah, good. Tell me, um, before we get into the World Cup itself, what, what's your uh, instinct about where Cristiano ends up playing football? That's a fascinating question, isn't it? Because you can under, obviously understand from the money side of it, uh, some sort of uh, transfer to, to Saudi would, uh, I'm sure, appeal to him. But Surely with him, you, you've got enough money at some point. That, that shouldn't be a motivating factor for him. I know that's easy to say about wealthy people. They all seem to be quite happy to accumulate more wealth. And, 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 and perhaps that's just how it goes. But all the stuff about not being happy at Man United and Man United not progressing as a club that he's come out with, all that looks a bit stupid if you then move somewhere that doesn't have much of appeal in the sporting sense. Surely he wants another crack at some kind of big time uh, <laughs> level of uh, level of football wherever that may be now i think if he's willing to to maybe ease off with some of the wage demands that there there might be possibilities for him there even if it's not quite in the stratosphere that he imagines but you can imagine where a club in portugal for instance or one of the sort of secondary uh, big uh, the tier club in in europe could could take him but it, it's a very strange situation i think uh, because there is such a discrepancy between where he appears to see himself and where I think most of the sport sees him at this point in time The the money for the European teams is, is very interesting because you can't really justify paying 600 grand a week or whatever the, the, the fee has been up to this point in wages if you're anybody who isn't uh, PSG and turns out they already have some good striking talent there maybe Real Madrid might be able to justify paying him something but again he's going to going to be a bit of a, an opportunity stopper unless unless the injury um, that Benzema has is, is more serious and maybe comes in. Yeah. And, and, f- and even, I mean, we see him linked with like Napoli. Like, I don't think he starts ahead of Victor Osimhen. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange one with him because like, I'm not writing him off. He obviously is still Cristiano Ronaldo and he still has some incredible sort of goal scoring instincts and all this. But he does have some limitations that makes it really challenging to to set up a team around him. And I think the teams at the very highest level, eh, I'd be surprised if any of them went for him, to be honest. It it feels like the changing of a guard, Lars. I mean, you see Ronaldo heading to Saudi potentially, Messi's performances not the same as he as he was, and then the likes of Mbappe and Haaland just kind of taking over. It's passing of the guard in many ways in football at the moment. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is becoming very, very clear. I mean, you, you could... You could argue that actually the last World Cup was the moment when we understood, in a sense, that while they're still great, Messi and Ronaldo are kind of on on the way down a little bit. Whereas uh, Kylian Mbappe sort of announced himself, uh, well, had announced himself, but but showed in that tournament uh, that he is the coming man. And, and certainly this uh, this tournament, it's completely unavoidable to to, to reach that conclusion. He's not even the main man Messi with, with Argentina anymore. Like you're watching the match last night and you're seeing people like Alexis McAllister stepping up and all of a sudden a team that, that completely revolved around him just doesn't anymore. Yeah, though I would say that in the specific case of Argentina, that might not be a negative. I think part of their problem in this time where they've had Messi for the national team is that 
you watch them playing. It seems like some of the players are almost in awe of him, and 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 there's a tendency to just give him the ball and just wait and see what happens now. Uh, you know, whereas if the, even if you have Messi in your team, it's good if the team functions like a normal football team where people make runs and move around and do the stuff that normal football teams do. That that kind of actually helps Messi to do his stuff. Uh, so so I think in in that sense that might be a positive. I'm having said that, not super impressed by what they've done so far in the tournament. Argentina really strange because i've watched some of their qualifying games and obviously we remember remember them winning the copa america and, and they, they looked like they were really actually putting it together and that this could be the time when finally they have a team good enough to to help messi and carry messi along to actually get to the final but uh, not impressive so far I, I think one of the things that happens as well in world cups is that teams suddenly find themselves over the next week and there's so many examples of uh, teams stuttering through group stages and then somebody finds form, something happens back-to-back or a penalty shootout goes their way and they're suddenly free from the burden of, of what it was that was holding them back. Or a row in the camp allows the manager to finally pick the right team. And I think we're kind of waiting for a couple of the teams who are not performing well to have something either go horribly wrong or horribly right. Argentina are kind of in that mix for one of those teams who you could see a significant step up in improvement or they could crash out horribly against Australia. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good shout. I remember uh, Roberto Martinez of, of Belgium uh, said that uh, after uh, after the Canada game, he was he was kind of they won the game, but the interview after the game was a little bit more of an aggressive questioning. Obviously, because they were terrible, and uh, and he did make the point. And whether I'm not sure it's true for Belgium, but I think it's a good point in general, which is that this is a tournament that more than any other World Cup, teams might have to grow into a little bit because they haven't had a couple of weeks in like a training camp setting together before the tournament to figure stuff out they've all, they've all just kind of been flown in from various parts of the world and suddenly thrown together and, and have to figure everything out with a few training sessions and it, it seems that can that could you you buy yourself time almost by you know getting a job done in the group stages and you, you're kind of hoping it comes together i remember writing uh, preview material uh, for this tournament and i kept repeating myself saying well this team has enough talent to go very far but there are some big shortcomings here and i'm not sure how it's going to work out i think that's true for like five or six teams really and it's a really fascinating tournament in that regard I think a lot of um, teams and, and countries have negative stories around them and it wouldn't be a World Cup without a negative story or two and, and some controversy around the team. Like you mentioned, Roberto Martinez, Belgium seemed to be that team where he's having to deny rumours from the camp of unrest and he's hitting out of the Belgian media as well, saying fake news. And I guess they're the country that, that is really, really dis- disappointed. But given the age profile, it's perhaps no surprise. Yeah, uh, I mean... Yeah, the the whole question going into it, you know, is this the last chance for the golden generation of Belgium? No, I don't think it is at all. I think the last World Cup was the last chance for the golden generation of, of Belgium. I think they always had certain shortcomings, certain positions where they weren't that strong. And now quite a few of the good players have aged out and even players who are still around like Eden Hazard has had a terrible time since going to Real Madrid. And that shouldn't make light of it because it's been mostly... Caused by injuries and injuries, of course, is not his fault, but it, it hasn't worked out well for him at all. And Romelu Lukaku, you know, the last 18 months of his career haven't been very positive with the failed move back to England and then going back to Italy, hoping to rediscover his groove and then having injuries this autumn. So, so some of the Belgian players are, are kind of, well, some have aged out entirely and some are very much on, on the down curve and that, the defense feels like it's been kind of old and slow and over it for quite a while now. And it's certainly not looking very impressive. 
they did, of course, try to bring in some uh, some fresh impetus with Andre Onana in midfield in the last game, and that he gave them some legs. But like a midfield two of Andre Onana and Axel Witzel, you're not. It's not exactly very sort of from a playmaking perspective. I mean, suddenly you start having trouble moving the ball forwards. It's they, they were very very unimpressive in that game against uh, Morocco, and I'd, I'd be really surprised if they were able to do anything today against the Croatia. It's funny, isn't it? But at the same time, if they were to suddenly uh, get a, a, um, an electrification of form from one or other of their key players, you can see how one player can drag a team to quarterfinal, semifinals in this World Cup. Yeah, that's the caveat we keep uh, having to make when we're talking about these things in a, in a setting that is recorded and broadcast through the technology of the internet, is that uh, to avoid looking stupid in the future, you have to always say, listen, all these things can be wrong with Belgium, but they still got Kevin De Bruyne. It's entirely possible that in the game today against Croatia, you know, fifth minute, Kevin De Bruyne just uh, just slaps one in the top corner from 30 yards and, you know, off you go. I mean, <laughs> that's how these things can work. And... You know, World Cups are funny because I mean, very often when we're talking about football and we're analyzing football teams, we're kind of talking about systems and who's got a group that works and who's got a method that works and a process that works. Because over a sort of 38 game league season in the Premier League, for instance, having the best system and the best group and the best collective and the best method is usually what'll, what'll win it out for you in the end. And that's true to an extent about the World Cup, but the World Cup is, I think, so much more about moments as well than just having an ideal system. I mean, we can, we can, we'll, we'll get to Australia in a minute, but it's uh, it, it's a case of if you have individuals who can execute when it really matters, uh, that that can that can fix so many things for you, even if a lot of other things with the team is wrong. I, as you say that, right? I'm making the case. Oh yeah, I can I can see England doing well. I can see Spain doing well. I can even see. The Dutch doing well under, get the system, have somebody have a moment, get the system right, have somebody have a moment. Uh, you can apply it basically to everybody, with maybe the exception of France and Brazil, who are so supremely mm-hmm. talented. But even then, like, Brazil have a really, really old centre-back, who surely yeah. some of these kids are going to run past at some point, and he's going to haul down, and whether or not the referee or VAR gives the penalty could be the decisive moment. And that midfield of France, like, really... Is, is Rabiot going to be one of those players that well, we look back and go, he won a World Cup, he was brilliant? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. no, I do, I do have to say, I, I quite like the look of France so far. I mean, this is sort of, I'm, I'm not much of a controversialist, but I will argue, I actually think, in one sense, the injury to Benzema helps them. Not because Drew is a better footballer than Benzema, he absolutely isn't. But, but I think also these tournaments are about not just having the highest number of good players in your team and the best players possible, but the right balance and having a team with like constituent parts that, that fit well together. And ever since Benzema came back to the French national team, it's like, oh, it's great. You've got Benzema and Mbappe and Andreas. It's incredible. But like the balance there hasn't looked quite right to me. Uh, when you have Giroud playing and, and Mbappe playing slightly off him, like everyone knows whose, whose job is what here. Everyone knows who is the big star and who's there to do a job and to facilitate. And, and I actually think Didier Deschamps has hit upon something with this team now. Uh, a, a midfield where you've got, yeah, you, you've got no Pogba, no um, no N'Golo Kante or anything, but, but Rabiot has been less bad uh, this year for Juventus. He's got a good
good engine. He runs around a lot. Him next to Chouameni is pretty solid. And we're seeing Antoine Griezmann drop deep in a much deeper role than he's been playing before. Uh, almost, I mean, he, he looks, they put him in like a number 10 spot when you see the team lineup on paper, but he's really been moving around and helping out more like a midfielder for, for a lot of the games. And with then Mbappe and Giroud in that connection that we know works and a sort of resurgent Osman Dembele, who's finally managed to stay fit for a while and, and is, is showing good stuff. Put all this together, and that looks like a really good football team to me, I have to say. Lars, I know you're supposed to have journalistic integrity and therefore be completely immune to the charms of who wins or who loses, but who do you actually want to win? <laughs> well, I wanted Denmark to do well, so that's the, just for the sake of Nordic bias. That's obviously not happening well at all. Um, I, I'd want... Just on a just on a personal level, I want some some kind of underdog to do better than expected. Um, I've been really, I mean, this is way out there. I'm not saying they'll win it or anything like it, but I was really impressed with Morocco in their first two games. Yeah, just because I remember again doing preview material, writing about Morocco, going, "Hang on." There are actually quite a lot of good players in this squad, uh, but but will it hang together? Because you know they they fired their manager after qualifying. Uh, so Valid Regagui, who's in charge, he hasn't been there for very long, and you wonder is this going to work collectively? How do all these players fit together? They've got two right backs. What do you do about that? All this sort of stuff. So, so that was my question. But uh, against both Belgium and against Croatia, I thought they did a great job in, in in stopping the opponent by being very clever, not pressing super high all the time, but by positioning themselves such that you make it difficult for the opponent to play out with uh, Sofian Amrabat doing a really good job tidying up in midfield really well structured looked really well drilled um, and it would be it would be great to see an African uh, country do well uh, in, the, in the tournament and uh, really they look like a team that's going to be kind of awkward to, to beat and awkward to play against I kind of want to whisper this Lars but could England win it? <laughs> and they, they could I think they're in a the group of teams who uh, I mean, I mean, to my mind, you 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 put kind of Brazil and France ahead uh, a little bit in in terms of who are the favourites, but then there's a cluster of teams who I frankly find very hard to to separate uh, at this point in time. And, and sure, there's enough quality in the England team to win it. The thing that's a little bit ominous is what happened in the US game, where you met a team that has a really energetic and and, and frankly good midfield, uh, which the US does have that trio of. Um, Tyler Adams uh, and and McKenney and Eunice Musa is the, those are good footballers and they have a lot of energy and they just really put a lot of pressure on those central midfielders to uh, England and, and England just couldn't play anymore they just weren't able to play to live with it and they weren't able to to move the ball forwards the way they want to and that that I thought was a little bit ominous um I forget, I forget who it was I'm sorry I'm stealing someone's joke but I saw someone on Twitter write that you know the the midfield of Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham are supposedly uh, worth two hundred million pounds, but here we've been outdone by a man named Tyler. I mean that that's not a good sign. And uh, <laughs> there was a little bit of that in that game. Listen, if you look at that squad, of course there's talent to to, to win any game, and and if if you have the players to win anyone you come up against, you've got a you've got a chance at winning the World Cup. But uh, the, the way they sort of stopped functioning the the second you really put pressure on that midfield, that 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 worried me a lot. I think there is a, a situation where we could, like I'm just looking at the round of 16 fixtures here, half of them are set up so far, um, USA and Netherlands, Australia playing Argentina, Poland, France and England, Senegal. Is there a, a universe here where we could have something like 2002 where you had a South Korea and a Turkey in a World Cup semi-final and, and maybe underdogs can go fairly deep? I mean, you would think uh, that this would be a tournament for that sort of thing. I think the fact that 
teams didn't have the normal time to prepare, that things are a little bit thrown together, perhaps that does favor an underdog because it does mean those teams who've, who've got the incredible individuals haven't really had time or perhaps haven't had time to perfect what they're doing collectively. So, so, so that might be possible. I, 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 I'm a romantic at heart, but I'm also deeply cynical about these things. And the, the trend seems to be that the best teams tend to go the furthest. And um, we've had some interesting little shocks uh, so far in the group. But uh, I, if I'm being honest, I do suspect that the quality will show when we get to the knockouts. Like that that first uh, fixtures that you uh, listed out there, Netherlands, USA, Argentina, Australia, the winners of that play each other. And so one of those four teams is going to be uh, you know, fifty-fifty in the semi-final as well. The other bracket yeah. has to be uh, decided. N- Netherlands USA is an interesting one because mm-hmm. the Dutch have not been great. I have to say they were they were quite fortunate. I thought to 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 win against Senegal. They were terrible against Ecuador. That was an awful performance. I think they had two shots in the entire game. Very very bad. And then they looked a little bit better against Qatar, but. It was against Qatar. So I'm, I'm not really sure. And then it looks to me like uh, Louis van Gaal is kind of scratching around a bit, trying to find what, what his best midfield is. Memphis Depay isn't fully fit. Now, it helps a lot that Cody Gakpo is, is having a bit of a moment and, and carrying on his uh, amazing league form into this tournament and, uh, and scoring goals and looking, looking like the real deal. But, uh, I, I think the Dutch are beatable for the US who, who have their own problems. But I think again, with that very energetic midfield they have to make life difficult for the Dutch who, as we know, like to pass the ball around, haven't looked that strong. I think that's an interesting one in terms of an upset. I think the point you made about um, youth and running ability is something that the Americans have in abundance. I think they named the youngest starting Mm -hmm. 11 in the World Cup so far in the last game. So, you know, Pulis's injury is going to be important to watch. And if he if he doesn't play, obviously, it's a massive blow for them from for all sorts of reasons. But like that might end up being very important in the sprint that we're in at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it could. It's funny you mentioned Pulisic. Is yeah, they're worried about him, but. If he doesn't make it, then they've got, you know, Brendan Aronson of Leeds can come in in that position. Gio Reyna from Dortmund can come into that position. So actually, there's almost, there's a little bit of depth there. And they've got a strange combination, the US, of having a very young squad, yes, but they also have more players. I mean, compared to previous uh, US national teams, they have more players who are playing at a high level in Europe. Than, than ever before, you know, the, the, the midfield is a, a guy from Juventus and a guy from Leeds and a guy from Valencia. And, you know, look across the board, you've got players playing for, for big European clubs there, which hasn't always been the case or hasn't ever really been the case with the US. So there is, there is real quality there as well. And the Dutch have been so unimpressive. They're certainly, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes teams just scrape through the group stage and then they just kind of find themselves. And at the end of the day, it's a short tournament. You only need to win a couple of more games and you've done very well. Maybe that'll happen with the Dutch. But based on what we've seen in the group stage, I think the US are more than capable of beating Holland. Lars, a lot of love for you in the comments. Uh, William Doyle says you need to be a regular. And then uh, James wants to know, uh, what do you think? If Ireland had made it to this World Cup, how would we have done? Would we have won any games? Mm. Well, I, I think you could have, yeah. I, guess, I think if you look at, I mean, I know this is slightly, um, uh, slightly different from what you guys are doing now under Stephen Kenny. You're trying to play more football and be more confident with the ball and have more possession, which I think is a, is a good, good direction to, to go in. But you also have to say, if you look at what Australia have managed to do, of being very combative, quite direct, but just really winning your 50-50s as much as you can and just not making life easy for the opponent and, and making them work for everything and, and, and hoping to catch them on a bit of an off day. 
there's no reason Ireland couldn't have done that, really. If you, I mean, you, you, I know you worry a little bit about uh, do you have enough players in the Premier League these days. I mean, the Australians don't have any players in the Premier League. Like this is a team made up of guys from from the A League, from from Scotland, and uh, and Mitchell Duke, who plays in the second tier in Japan. Like the, the, it is possible at these tournaments to sort of overperform in terms of where your your teams, where, where your individual, where they are uh, in their club career, anyway. So so I think again looking at a team like Australia should should give you give you hope no yeah yeah I guess we were looking at um, Wales and Denmark and going oh well they tend to be better than us at the moment maybe <laughs> maybe the Welsh cycle is over because their best players are no longer any good and yeah you you worry about that a little bit just um listen I, I think well I don't know how you see that from Ireland but certainly here in the UK people just have so much um so much sympathy and, and and goodwill towards the Welsh team, and really want them to to do well because it's, it's great how they've uh, how they've punched above their weight in the in the last decade or so. But uh, if if there was one big takeaway from their tournament is that uh, that Bale and Ramsey look like they're they look like they're past it now, man. And and a few of the other guys who have really been carrying the, the carrying that team, Joe Allen's been really good for them. It looked like they might not be at the level that they used to be. And listen, there's some pretty interesting young players coming through there. So maybe in a couple of years, but but this group, yeah, that. That cycle looks like it's been at an end. How's the leg, Lars? <laughs> that's, that's very kind of you to ask. It's 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 getting better. It's getting better. It's it's a long long recovery time, but uh, I'll get there. Well, we wish you all the best. Nothing better to do than sit on the couch and watch football for the next month. So that's okay. <laughs> it's good. I can do all the exercises on my ankle to to get it moving again. So it's it's great. Listen, great to have you with us. Thanks a million, Lars. Cheers. Anytime, guys. Bye. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.